This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dijani. Jamal, weeks after the apartheid regime of Israel catastrophically destroyed Gaza, killing over 60 children and uh, with the death toll over 200 and thousands injured with tens of thousands of buildings destroyed, we continue to see the devastation being wrought to the Palestinians living in Gaza. Yet at the same time, the, uh, the apartheid regime is in the midst of its own political chaos, and it looks like we're trading one war criminal for yet another. Benjamin Netanyahu is on the ropes politically, Jamal, and we have Naftali Bennett, an avowed racist individual who has bragged about killing Palestinians openly and advocated for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in historic Palestine and everywhere, set to become the next prime minister of the apartheid regime, along with a new president. So there's a big shakeup across the political spectrum for the apartheid regime, Jamal. You're absolutely right. And uh, actually, uh, the president uh, was elected, uh, Isaac Herzog. Uh, this is someone in 2018 when he was named Jewish Agency Chair. Right. He uh, called mixed marriages and relationships between Jews and non-Jews as a plague. I mean, that's why when you say he's a racist, even within the Israeli media, they will tell you that. But we will talk about this and more, and we'll talk about uh, Naftali uh, Bennett, who seems to be the heir apparent to Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, later on, we have a great guest uh, who will be talking uh, to us, Max Blumenthal, a um, bona fide journalist uh, for many years. And uh, he has written a very interesting article in the gray zone uh, titled to distract from gaza slaughter israel lobby manufactures anti-semitism freak out let's listen to max blumenthal to distract from gaza slaughter israel lobby manufactures anti-semitism freak out this is the title of an article by max blumenthal the editor-in-chief of the gray zone Max is an award-winning journalist and the author of several books, including best-selling Republican Gomorrah, Goliath, The 51-Day War, and The Management of Savagery. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Max. Great to be here. So this title will certainly raise eyebrows and anger many supporters of Israel. In this article, you accuse the Israel lobby of deceptively editing videos and making up dubious allegations manufacturing an anti-Semitism epidemic to turn the media's gaze away from the dead children in Gaza. Uh, please explain, Max. The interesting thing about this article is that it was widely disseminated. It basically went viral because it spoke to what so many people knew to be true and provided them with you know, the facts and the evidence. But you know, on the pro-Israel side, there was no real coherent response to the piece they didn't respond on the merits. What they did was they would just denounce the article as another example of anti-Semitism. And what I did with this article was examine in a forensic manner the video evidence that Zionists were relying on, as well as the witness testimony uh, and the even, even mainstream print media accounts to show that the key incidents that formed the linchpin of this narrative of a wave of anti-Semitism were not anti-Semitic incidents at all. There was no example I could find of Palestine solidarity protesters going out and hunting down Jews or anyone getting angry about what Israel was doing in, in and around Gaza and looking for Jews to hunt. In almost every case, while you could say Maybe some of these pro-Palestine activists were angry and resorted to some stupid behavior. It was in the context of a scuffle with pro-Israel forces who were doing the same or who were actually violently attacking Palestine activists, instigating these incidents and provoking them verb with you know verbal attacks. Uh, so 
no one really bothered to do this on the other side. And I also found that the mainstream media, CNN especially, which was rolling out the red carpet for the main Israel lobby group pushing this narrative, the Anti-Defamation League, which we could better describe as the Arab Defamation League or just the Defamation League, they were actually deceptively editing video of various incidents to make it seem like Jews were just being attacked in the street by these mobs of kofia wearing Arabs, and they were not showing the full video that showed that in, in, in one major case, the person who claimed to be a victim was actually lying about the circumstances. I want to talk about this case because I, I think you listed several cases. This is a May 19th incident in Midtown, uh, New York City. And this is the one you're referring to that um, I think it was Don Lemon uh, yeah. who uh, did a piece on it. And it is by uh, supposedly a mob of Palestinian youth hunted down and brutalized a lone Jewish man. Uh, his name is Joseph Borgen uh, on his way to a nearby pro-Israel ra rally. Then he, he had an interview on uh, Don Lemon and, and this became the incident, what, I, what you refer to as wearing a, the yarmulke, which uh, he, he wasn't, he had a hoodie on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the central basis for Joseph Borgen, this 23-year-old man from Long Island who came to uh, Times Square to go to a pro-Israel rally, for his claim that he was beaten because he was Jewish walking through Times Square by these um, Palestinian, basically they're Palestinian young men who were infuriated by Israel's assault on Gaza. His claim was that he was wearing a kippah, a Jewish skull cap, and they targeted him as a Jew, not because he was a pro-Israel demonstrator. And the reality was, if you look at the video carefully, and then I found photographs, very clear photographs of the aftermath of the incident. He was wearing a hoodie that was a gray hooded sweatshirt, fully secure on his head that would have covered up any kippah. He showed no sign of Jewish religious garb. There was no way to tell he was Jewish. And if you examine local media reports about what was happening there at that time, uh, multiple witnesses said, that pro-Israel forces were throwing juice bottles and water bottles out the window at pro-Palestinian marchers, provoking them into a fight. Several witnesses who were there at this particular incident said that pro-Israel forces actually attacked a young Palestinian man um, named Wasim Awade, who he was already injured. He was on crutches and because they attacked him, his friends started getting really angry and Borgen got beat up, including by Awade, who hit him once with a crutch. And so police were on the scene. Everybody else ran away and Awade was unable to get away because he was on crutches. So they caught him. They've charged him with a hate crime. You can look at like local New York media and there's all this video of him doing a perp walk. They basically portrayed him as a terrorist and no one has responded to my analysis of the incident, which shows that it's pretty clearly not a hate crime. Uh, it shatters the whole narrative. I thought, you know, if I report this and I get it wrong, I'm going to get destroyed because I'm denying this hate crime. But no one has responded to me. Uh, so it's pretty obvious that the narrative is 180 degrees. The reality is 180 degrees different than the narrative. And then you have another incident also, also with uh, uh, two, uh, I guess, Israeli soldiers who had served in the Golani Brigades, a yeah. special uh, forces division that participated in the Israel 2014 assault on Gaza. Yeah. And, and this was also a whole different narrative. You know, they were basically the perpetrators, not the other way around. This is one of the first videos that started really uh, gaining cachet online. And it was it purported to show these two Israelis who are being attacked by a Palestinian mob in Midtown on the same day, around the same time, in the same atmosphere, uh, and that they were being beaten and they had to fight for their lives because they were overheard speaking Hebrew. And that's what one of them said. And first of all, the video was deceptively edited, just like the other one. And I looked at the full video and parts had been cut out that showed 
one of these Israelis taunting the Palestinians and screaming, uh, you know, long live the state of Israel as he was being hauled away into a police van and that the police were arresting him because he instigated the violence. The video, if you look at it closely, shows the two Israelis punching the Palestinians first. And then I looked at their background. I went to their Facebook pages after learning their names. They were Golani Brigade Special Forces soldiers, trained killers who participated in the 2014 assault on Gaza and were both martial arts experts trained in mixed martial arts. One of them is actually the grandson of one of the men who helped popularize martial arts in Israel. And this young man, his name is Amit Skornik, he started a GoFundMe to raise money after this highly publicized incident, showing pictures of him punching Palestinians along with his friend. And it said, Jews fight back finally. And the money was to go to the Golani Brigade in Israel, which was potentially going to invade the Gaza Strip. Finally, these two characters went on Israeli media to brag about beating up Palestinians, while in English language media on Fox News, they're pretending to be these innocent victims. So once again, you have an absurd distortion of reality uh, in which two Israeli trained killers physically attacked Palestinians, and then they were portrayed as the victims of a hate crime. So the ADL uh, reporting a whopping 193 anti-Semitic incidents in, in, in basically the span, the span of a week. How many, uh, in your assessment, were correct and the others were manufactured? Well, there were some reports of like swastikas that were scrawled on like bathroom stalls. And every incident that the ADL records is something that someone emails them or calls in. It can be anonymous and they don't check it. They don't try to corroborate it or determine if it's true. They just chalk it up. Then they send the data out to the media and they say there's a wave of anti-Semitism and they tell their constituents, we are fighting this, this uptick in anti-Semitism. Please send us money. It's just a giant fundraising operation. And I think some of them might be uh, true, where somebody writes a, a swastika in a bathroom stall or somebody yells something at a Jew. But what they were trying to do after Israel was militarily and politically humiliated on the world stage was to distract from that by conflating Palestine solidarity activism with anti-Semitism. And so in ADL's report, some of the major incidents that they defined as anti-Semitic were simply Palestine rallies, people calling for the equal rights of Palestinians, people chanting intifada. That was one anti-Semitic incident. Uh, so th what they've done is attempt is, is what they've been trying to do for so long in the U.S. and also in the U.K. and France, criminalize Palestine, Pal Palestine solidarity activism. And that's what makes it so dangerous when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris come out and answer the ADL's call to denounce anti-Semitism. What they're really doing is denouncing all of us who were outraged to see entire families being exterminated in the Gaza Strip or people's homes being stolen from them in Sheikh Jarrah. Now, you used two uh, examples about uh, the uh, how basically the ADL uh, functions. One, uh, you used the example of the Israeli filmmaker Yuav Shamir uh, in his 2009 documentary on the weaponization of anti-Semitism, which I thought... I haven't watched the documentary, but I thought this was very interesting. And then the other thing that I followed uh, very closely was the uh, the U.S.-Israel lobby's uh, cynical manufacturing of a wave of anti-Semitism that you you linked it with what happened uh, in Britain uh, with uh, uh, the U.K. with with the removal of uh, Jeremy Corbyn uh, as leader of the U.K.'s Labour Party. Uh, I mean, how did you make that connection? What exactly happened? Well, the documentary Defamation by Yoav Shamir is simply the best uh, 
film on anti-Semitism and its exploitation and exaggeration by powerful forces, the Israeli government and the Israel lobby in the US. Shamir got access to the ADL. They opened up their offices to him because he was Israeli. And he went there and he said, I would like to know more about this wave of anti-Semitism that you're speaking about. Because as usual, that then director of the ADL, Abe Foxman, was howling about this uptick in anti-Semitism to raise money. And he went to their offices. He said, show me some of these incidents, and then I'm going to go out in the field with my camera and track them down and show people what's happening. And then the incidents that they described were just absurd. Somebody called in and complained that uh, about mean media coverage of Israel. Somebody said that they couldn't get days off on the Jewish holiday of Shavuot. And he said he, he couldn't find one incident that he could track down. They were unable to even find the people who made these complaints. And that's what we're seeing today. And then what we saw in the UK was a politician rise to the leadership through this massive wave of grassroots support of the Labour Party, one of the two major parties in the UK, Jeremy Corbyn, someone who is a lifelong anti-racist and supporter of Palestinian rights. He actually hosted me in Parliament when I first uh, visited the UK on a speaking tour after the assault on Gaza in 2014. And I was, that event was used as one of the first attacks on Jeremy Corbyn. I was described with no evidence as a Holocaust denier. It was, it was absurd. And this made it to the major tabloids in the UK. As soon as Corbyn became labor leader, the Israel lobby and the Israeli embassy through its paid assets began painting him as an anti-Semite with no evidence. He didn't fight back. There was very little pushback. There was a lot of fear. The Labour Party was purged of Palestine solidarity supporters, especially people of color like Jackie Walker, who was called an anti-Semite because she referred to the slavery middle passage as an African Holocaust, which it was. And uh, the next thing you know, the Labour Party has been completely destroyed and you have in its leadership position a ultra Zionist with deep ties to the British national security state someone who participated in the persecution of Julian Assange, who has the charisma of a filing cabinet, Sir Keir Starmer. And that's the program that they seek to institute in the U.S. to prevent us from making any political headway here. We have all become Jeremy Corbyn. And if we don't call this out and push back and call it out right away and not be afraid to do so, then we will be driven into political ruin. Now, talking about, uh, you mentioning uh, Abraham uh, Foxman, uh, he's the National Director Emeritus of the Anti-Defamation League. He uh, publicly uh, canceled his subscription to the <laughs> New York Times, explaining in a tweet, today's blood libel of Israel and the Jewish people on the front page is enough. He, he later on elaborated in an e email to a publication, I, I think it's called the uh, Algeminer, uh, the reason was the paper's bias against Israel. And of course, he didn't mention that the New York Times also displayed the pictures of the Jewish-Israeli kids who were killed uh, due to Hamas uh, firing uh, rockets. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, if, if a newspaper, which by the way, we should also mention that uh, the New York Times did not publish these pictures until Haaretz, the Israeli paper, also did that. I mean, if they recognize the faces of the victims, I mean, how is that blood libel? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have seen pro-Israel, major pro-Israel figures claim that everyone who was killed in the Gaza Strip was killed as the result of uh, misfired rockets by Hamas. Uh, actually, I've seen is the Israeli government's spokespeople have been saying this. And I assume Foxman believes some version of it. Uh, you know, I've seen people attempt to claim that some of the children's faces were fake on the covers of the New on the cover of the New York Times. I really believe people like Foxman's brains are so warped and they compartmentalize so thoroughly when Israel carries out these exterminationist waves of violence on the besieged Gaza Strip that they actually don't believe that that many children are killed, and they truly believe that it's a lie. 
in any case, this is the behavior that Foxman has been displaying for decades. And for the first time, he really hasn't gotten away with it. It's partly because of the proliferation of social media that common people like you and me, we can, who have no uh, real voice in mainstream media can call him out. Um, but it's also because the situation became so unbearable and Israel's assaults became so grotesque that even the New York Times was forced to acknowledge what we always knew was taking place in Palestine. So it's sort of a new day and the Israel lobby is gonna have to find new ways of trying to propagandize people. What they're turning to increasingly is, uh, you know, the campaign they developed in like 2006, Brand Israel with the pink washing and the green washing and, you know, woke Zionism and that Hamas is, uh, you know, oppressing women. And they'll try to do that, but it doesn't, it just doesn't work anymore. And increasingly Zionism is a cause for, you know, right wing people uh, who are intend to be Republican uh, and believe, as Barry Weiss said, that one of the obligations of Zionism is killing children. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, I should also, we were talking about the New York Times, that uh, the New York Times uh, own uh, Brett Stephens, uh, <laughs> he's the also op-ed columnist, he wrote a piece just before, actually, not too long before those pictures were published, saying that the accusations made against Israel, stealing Palestinian land, etc., uh, he, it, he, he ends his uh, sentence by saying, can't help but make me think of ancient uh, libels about Jewish greed and bloodlust. <laughs> this is someone, Brett Stevens, who said when a, a professor called at George Washington University called him a bed bug, he called it an anti-Semitic slur. And <laughs> he dug up a piece. He had a researcher look for one example of Nazis calling Jews bed bugs. And he falsely interpreted a historical report uh, from some pogrom. I mean, this is just uh, one of the most privileged, entitled, secure people in the entire world whose whole career has been fostered by the Israel lobby, who has never had to display a shred of talent to get where he is, who's currently being paid by an Israel lobby group in violation of the New York Times ethics policy and he's claiming that he is an oppressed victim in order to provide cover to an apartheid army to continue slaughtering people who live in a besieged ghetto. It, does, it just simply doesn't get any more absurd than Brett Stevens. And it's why I actually felt, I personally felt bitter when I saw the New York Times publish those photos of the children on its cover because the New York Times in every other, on every other day has provided Israel with all the means it needs to propagandize readers and has promoted regime change against every country that has stood up for Palestine at the UN or on the world stage with completely fake stories. So the New York Times doesn't deserve any plaudits. Uh, and I don't see this as a giant sea change as long as people like Brett Stevens are continuing to publish their filth on its pages. Do you think that Israel surrogates in the U.S. Uh, losing, are losing their uh, Hasbara or propaganda war? I mean, uh, is this why they are uh, falling back on labeling critics of Israel of being anti-Semitic? Well, they always have done this. I mean, I was number eight on the Simon Wiesenthal's list of top 10 anti-Semites in 2013 or maybe it was 2014. And then the following year, I made number four. Ayatollah Khamenei was always number one. Uh, I could never. I, I had I had to do this, but I should mention that you are Jewish. I mean, I mean. Yeah, in case it isn't obvious from my name. <laughs> if it's not, you know, but uh, I mean, this is uh, ludicrous. Uh, one last question. Uh, I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but it seems that Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, going to be replaced by uh, uh, Bennett, uh, whose family. Uh, hails from San Francisco. Uh, do you see any changes on the horizon in Israeli politics? Well, I do. Um, but I mean, I, just addressing it in terms of the special relationship, I think this is a, you know, for anyone who believes that the situation should change in favor of humanity, 
this is actually a positive development because the worst wars on Palestine have been waged other than the 2014 war and the most recent one by people who came from outside Likud, uh, Ehud Barak, uh, Ariel Sharon, when he became part of the Kadima party, and then Ehud Olmert. So the Likud party does not have a monopoly on grotesque crimes. And the whole project of ethnic cleansing was launched by the Labor Party. So it really makes no difference to me who's in power. What the issue is, is that Netanyahu has a longstanding relationship with power brokers in Washington, dating back to the 1980s. He's a product actually of the US and the US Republican Party. He's someone who is able to communicate Israel's position very effectively and deceptively on the world stage. Naftali Bennett does not have those qualities, although he speaks perfect English. He's very right wing. He's more connected to the settlement movement. He's overtly religious. He wears a, a, a skull cap and a knit skull cap to identify with the settlement movement. And he's going to have a much more difficult time covering up the real Israel that you and I know, but most, but many Americans are unfamiliar with. And it is a sectarian, racist, extremely violent Israel. He is the perfect embodiment of that. And so I think this is actually uh, a refreshing development. Wow, this is actually a very different uh, viewpoint, which is very accurate, actually. <laughs> uh, Max Blumenthal, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's the voice and the face of Max Blumenthal, uh, reporter, journalist, and author. And I have to tell you, Jamal, I mean, Max Blumenthal um, has always been an impressive uh, writer and analyst and, uh, you know, uncovered, you know, some of the best stories having to do with Israeli atrocities and their apartheid system. But this particular article, only he could write. If If you and I were trying to write something like this, it wouldn't be well received. But what Max Blumenthal is able to articulate, and we all agree that, you know, acts of anti-Semitism are unacceptable and, you know, never, uh, never should be tolerated. But he's talking about the use of anti-Semitism in the service of distracting from the atrocities that the apartheid regime in Israel has committed and continues to commit. It's a very powerful article. It's very powerful. It's, uh, he, he, he really talks about the uh, weaponizing of anti-Semitism. And in particular, he names ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. And he cites uh, many examples. He draws parallel with what happened in, in, in the US, for example, with what happened uh, in, in the UK with the Corbyn, who basically the Israel lobby labeled as an anti-Semite, just uh, concocted charges after charges, leading to basically his uh, outsir from right. the Labour Party right. leadership. And then, uh, of course, what uh, the recent with the recent incidents that the ADL uh, were citing, he basically debunks all these claims, um, you know, story after story. Uh, and interviews after interviews, like the one that Don Lemon had someone uh, interviewed without right. checking his background. And then the real video shows that he was the perpetrator and he wasn't attacked because he was wearing a skull cap. In fact, he was wearing a hoodie. So people would not be, have been able to tell whether he's Jewish or not. And then another story that involves Jess to uh, Israeli soldiers, two soldiers at Max right. Blumenthal found out about their identity, that they actually served in the, they were highly trained, you know, in combat in, you know, I mean, they were in the uh, Golani Brigade, which is uh, one of Israel's uh, most popular killing machines. And then they were acting as the vic victims when they were the perpetrators. So it's not like it's like someone who doesn't know what's going on, who hasn't investigated this before, right. who has not uh, done documentaries in Palestine. I mean, Max Blumenthal, I mean, very uh, reputable uh, journalist. Uh, and by the way, you said something, I need to correct you a little bit because you said only Max Blumenthal can write this because he can get away with it. But 
I mean, the caveat, of course, everyone knows Max Blumenthal is uh, Jewish, you know, which we, we don't like to put these labels. However, he's listed, according to him, as now the number four anti-Semite on the, I guess, the ADL list or something. Oh, like really? I mean, imagine. Yeah, so really? they... Yeah, it's it's no longer you know it's no longer the self-hating Jew label, but now they're just labeling labeling him like anyone else. I mean, when they don't have an answer to someone, that's the easy label. Well, they the thing that I like someone. the thing that I like about his argument is the concept of weaponizing anti-Semitism because what this does, in fact, is um, kind of minimize tragically and has the impact of really. Um, not taking seriously as it should be the the kinds of anti-Semitism which we all condemn, obviously, and it it kind of lays bare the the technique of the ADL and other pro-Israel forces to pull this out as a weapon of denial and as a weapon to silence critics of the apartheid regime of Israel. And so, um, you know, we don't like to use those labels obviously, Jamal, about Max, but uh, Max can can write these kinds of articles with deep knowledge of culture, of of the environment, and of the use of anti-Semitism for, for like, you know, uh, unfortunately for political gains, which, you know, hurts all the people who are truly victims. I mean, look what, uh, to what happened. We talked about this uh, in, in prior shows to right. Dua Lipa, Gigi Hadid and and her sister Bella Hadid Bella. Uh, for just basically criticizing Israel Israel's onslaught on on Gaza, they had a full page ad in the New York Times labeling them as uh, promoting anti-Semitism. I mean, I mean, if you criticize Israel, if you criticize their atrocity, if you say something pro-Palestinian, you're automatically labeled as uh, as an anti-Semite, and this is what actually Max Blumenthal. Uh, has exposed in his article. Yes, and it's going to need to be exposed even more, Jamal, because we've talked about this and we're going to be transitioning to a longer discussion about this. The Hasbara weapons that the Israeli Hasbara machine has are dwindling. Um, the entire international community, minus the United States, well, even to some extent, to a minimal extent, the United States has condemned the war crimes and the atrocities committed against Palestinian children and civilians in Gaza by U.S.-made weapons. It seems the whole world has criticized uh, the the regime for their atrocities. The ICC will investigate. It's been labeled an apartheid regime by Human Rights Watch and Beth Selim. So they have nothing left to defend their atrocities, Jamal. So they're pulling out their probably, it arguably could be one of their last Hasbara weapons, which is to label any criticism of Israel as anti-Semitic, which is, you know, ridiculous because most of these critics now happen to be, you know, uh, Jewish to say the least. Yeah, and and the list is growing as far as the critics, whether uh, Jewish Americans like members of Jewish Voice for Peace here, politicians, uh, you have uh, hundreds of musicians recently signed a petition to stop, right. uh, you know, weaponizing basically Israel and uh, sending money to, to Israel. And then you have uh, demonstrations, uh, I think a thousand plus people demonstrating in Washington, D.C., Right at the footsteps of the Capitol, demanding right. that 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 the U.S. taxpayer should start questioning all that money that is going to Israel to for basically its uh, killing machine, which is and killing children and killing civilians. Exactly, Jamal. And speaking of that, uh, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham visiting uh, the apartheid regime uh, on. Taxpayer money and U.S. taxpayer money meeting with well, Benjamin. He could, he could, his trip could have been also comped by APEC. So he's still a U.S. senator. He's still a U.S. senator. He's still a he's still a U.S. senator, Jamal, and he met with Benjamin Netanyahu, who's being indicted for many felonies right now and corruption. And lo and behold, he announces that it looks like the. 
the Israeli regime is going to ask for another billion dollars in taxpayer money from the U.S. government. When will it stop, Jamal? I mean, this is, and the How timing insulting. of it, the most ridiculous trip that I've seen from a, a U.S. senator. And uh, I mean, it looks so obvious he's going there just to lobby on behalf of Israel, lobby Congress and lobby the Senate to write them another ch billion, billion dollar check, dollar check on top of their $3.8 billion that they receive annually. And guess why? This is to replace or replenish Israeli missiles, the missiles they used on Gaza, basically to kill children, said, no, this is for the Iron Dome. I mean, here's the joke about the Iron Dome. And this is something why the United States is going to keep paying for it. And, and not the United States, the taxpayer, really, the American taxpayer will be paying for it time and time again. It costs 40 to $60 million per battery. Unbelievable. You know, it, it costs thousands of dollars each time they launch a, a missile, which, by the way, I've read a lot of reports. Israel exaggerates its accuracy. Yeah, it doesn't and work. And that's really. why many of the, yeah. of the of the cheap Hamas missiles, which are basically Katyusha rockets or improved or enhanced Katyusha rockets to penetrate, it's a very costly system that every time you have these issues going on, then um, Israel takes the credit for developing the so-called the Iron Dome or working on the Iron Dome. And then the United States ends up paying for it. So every yeah. time, whether Israel engages Hamas in Gaza or, or Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon, uh, Israel is going to come back to you, to me, to every American in this country and, says, and say, here is the bill. Write us a check. So my question to the citizens of the United States, Jamal, now that you have international recognition of the Israeli regime as an apartheid regime, as practicing apartheid, why are we as citizens of the United States with all of the economic infrastructure difficulties, the healthcare costs, the, the bridges that are falling apart, the roads that are falling apart, the, the 30 million children that go to bed hungry every night in the United States, Jamal, why are we supporting an apartheid regime with four four plus billion dollars every year when that money could be spent right here in the United States. Millions of Americans remain un unemployed. I mean, exactly. We, the weeds of the economy uh, have not started to spin. I mean, we're just barely kind of trying to recover right. from COVID to have some other country come to you and say, give me a billion dollars when we can use the billion dollars internally to feed, to feed all these homeless people who are now in the streets in the United States. I mean, it, it, I mean, look how ridiculous is this? I mean, well, it, it's it's ridiculous. But I'm also saying something in addition to the ridiculousness, Jamal. It's the fact that we're propping up an apartheid uh, regime, and we're tacitly, if not expressly, supporting. Uh, what the ICC anticipates as being war crimes being committed against Palestinian children and civilians in Gaza. Yet this country's foreign policy continues to support this murderous regime without any questions, without any issues, without even a wink. And now we have a U.S. Senator, Lindsey Graham, who I believe should be registered as a foreign agent lobbying on behalf of the Israeli government for a billion more dollars. There's something really wrong with that picture, Jamal. I mean, I don't see Lindsey Graham walking in the streets of Atlanta or the streets of, uh, uh, you know, Dallas, Texas or, 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 or Los Angeles and going to the poor neighborhoods and saying, we're going to raise a billion dollars. We're going to bring you a billion dollars worth of uh, financial aid or whatever. In fact, they've been like throwing uh, monkey wrenches in front of uh, President Biden for, on his stimulus package. I mean, exactly. And, and now he's just like, oh, you know, we're going to give them a billion dollars. I hope the Senate, Congress, wherever, whoever is responsible, will deny that uh, request when, when, it, when, it, when it arrives.
We can only hope, Jamal, but I think this is part of the larger picture that we're hoping that the citizens of the United States of this country will pay attention to, because when you read about the political earthquake that's happening in the Israeli political world, when you have an avowed racist um, hater uh, of people of color, Naftali Bennett, becoming the next, most likely becoming the next prime minister uh, of this regime, you really need to do a double take because here's an individual whose parents were born in the United States, uh, an individual who moved to the United States. From where, yes, from where? The, he was born in Haifa, but his parents are from New York. From, no, from San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Okay. Okay. The origin of the family is from Poland. You know, that's the uh, original uh, location. Or, origin, but uh, they were uh, living right here in San Francisco and immigrated in 1967 from the San Francisco Bay Area to, to Haifa, Haifa, where where he was uh, born. I mean, so here this we, is, but <laughs> Naf, yeah, but Naftali, but let's let's be clear, Jamal. He also lived on illegal stolen, uh, illegally stolen Palestinian land in these uh, white colonies that they call settlements, which are illegal colonies uh, living on stolen Palestinian land. Now he lives in a very expensive uh, suburb of Tel Aviv, but he was uh, he he's basically the leader of the white extreme racist political movement in Israel now, Jamal, and he struck a deal with the so-called, what do we call it? I don't want to call it liberal party, but whatever's left of the left of the Israeli political spectrum, he's he's aligning himself with these two political opposites, are aligning themselves to get rid of Benjamin Netanyahu. And my, my statement to the Israelis, as well as to the United States uh to, to Joe Biden and Antony Blinken, you really are going to support this avowed racist to be the, the prime minister of the Israeli regime? Come on, say something. I mean, I mean, for one thing, he made it very clear, uh, not once, but several times, that uh, he opposes a Palestinian state. Full and stop. He said he He's against also, the two-state solution. He also, when he talks in Hebrew, you have to listen to him in Hebrew, not in English, he refers to Eretz Israel, which is greater Israel. This is not the Israel that you have today. I mean, he's talking those are the old uh, maps that the Irgun and Haganah had showing Israel that included Jordan going all the way to Egypt and to the Euphrates River. That's right. That's the greater Israel. He wants a greater Israel. So forget about peace negotiations or that for Palestinians to have equal rights. And he said it a million times that Israel uh, belongs to the Jews and no one else. He also bragged, and this is his, his own word saying, I already killed lots of Arabs in my life and there is absolutely no problem with that. So this is someone who also bragged that, uh, you know, bragged the killing of Well, Jabal, uh, he, was in, he was involved in the, in the Kana massacre where hundreds of Palestinians were massacred in Lebanon. Yeah, so, I mean, he has a history. Of course, I mean, if you're talking about his political uh, career, I mean, he's certainly, I wouldn't call him a Netanyahu uh, light. He is actually a Netanyahu times Heavy. 10. I mean, he's, he's a worse than Netanyahu. Netanyahu. I mean, he's made, he made his all his entire political career basically serving Benjamin Netanyahu. He was but to the uh, right. He but was, to the right. Uh, but to the minister, right of Minister of Economy in Netanyahu's government, Minister of Religious Services, Minister of the Diaspora Affairs, Minister of Education, and Minister of Defense before he turned and stabbed Bibi in the back. I mean, that's that's the game that he played. He he was always, you know, on the right of Benjamin Netanyahu, and then eventually he went and turned against him, and now he wants to replace so, him. So my question to you, Jamal, now that you have Joe Biden, President Biden, being somewhat cool to Benjamin Netanyahu, we now have the real possibility of a right-wing murderous extremist becoming the new prime minister. What will the Biden administration... And the rest of the world community, the EU, and the rest of the world community stand and do in the face of this potential new right-wing extremism that's even worse than the Netanyahu 
extremism that's really going around still, Jabal, saying death to Arabs, still trying to lynch Palestinians who are so-called citizens and they're, you know, Israeli citizens, trying to lynch them, hundreds of whom are still in jail from peacefully protesting what was happening in Gaza. Yes, what they'll do, they'll roll out the red carpet for him, just like they did with Menachem Begin, who was uh, a terrorist, you know, before 1948, just like they did with uh, Shamir, who was also a terrorist, a wanted terrorist for murder, and, and both of them are responsible for the bombing of the King David Hotel. They were made as heroes and peacemakers. Same thing with Sharon, uh, who was behind uh, Sabra and Shatila. I mean, I don't expect any, anything else. I mean, this is going to be the attitude, uh, the, the only way you can put pressure on these uh, governments and leaders is the uh, grassroots move, root movement that's happening now. Uh, voices, uh, well-known uh, faces and voices who speak against the atrocities. But, I mean, if you, took, if you went and looked at our Senate now, they will welcome, uh, uh, you know, you, they will welcome Bennett just like they welcomed Netanyahu before. I mean, I don't see anything different. What, minus less, less than two people maybe will be against him, three people? But you're not going well, to have the this, masses in, in but government But this will be interesting for a couple of reasons, Jamal, because there is pressure coming the more, from the more progressive elements of the Senate and the House about this this support, this kind of unquestioned support for the apartheid regime of Israel. So you'll see mobilization on the left, both in the House and the Senate, which really in the Senate, I'm talking about Bernie Sanders and maybe a handful of other some other senators, but a greater number of people in the House who are really going to press the Biden administration if Naftali Bennett does become uh, the prime minister. So It'll be interesting. Now, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, we, we can't just focus on Israeli politics, Jamal. There's been a resurgence of Palestinian unity across the world spectrum of where Palestinians are living. We're talking about Palestine, Palestinians in 1948, Palestinians in Gaza, West Bank, in the camps, and throughout the diaspora seem to be... Uh, participating in a global sense of unity right now, unlike anything we've seen in decades. You're right. You're, you're right. I mean, we've seen them, um, 1948 Palestinians, uh, we've seen uh, all over the world. I mean, yes, this kind of, uh, I would say, brought uh, Palestinian unity. It also marginalized the Palestinian uh, authority. I mean, uh, I mean Even how of, uh, nobody yeah. pays attention to Mahmoud Abbas. I mean, people are now questioning uh, that uh, uh, role that the Palestinian authority has. And in many cases, also the uh, independent Palestinian voices, uh, Trump, uh, Hamas leadership, the Trump Fatah leadership, so I don't know if this is going to continue. I mean, th uh, there is a momentum now, and uh, which is good. Uh, I don't know if they're going to keep up the pressure. I've noticed recently things have calmed down a little bit, even though Israel continues to uh, ethnically cleanse the uh, Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah and in, in Silwan. I think... Uh, that hasn't it, stopped, though, Jamal. It that hasn't, hasn't stopped. stopped. It hasn't stopped, and that's why... I would say uh, this is the time to kind of to keep the pressure because in many, uh, I mean, in, in many aspects, what happened in Gaza, and it was a very, it was horrible. It kind of, uh, you know, and we, I talked to Max Blumenthal about that. It took the spotlight away from what's going on in these uh, Jerusalem neighborhoods because this is right. a part and parcel of Israel's systemic plan of ethnically cleansing Jerusalem, you know, and, and right. because, you know, they say this is uh, the eternal capital and to build on what uh, Trump has done by moving the embassy and some other actually countries uh, that move their embassies into Jerusalem and they're trying to kind of like rewrite right. history and right. say Palestinians don't exist in Jerusalem and this is a, a you know, and talking about that actually because we have few minutes, I wanted not to forget about the story just 
which is the, I call it the Hassan Beck Mosque. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know if you watched that to see I the, did. the UAE uh, ambassador to um, Israel getting blessed by their uh, chief rabbi in, uh, I guess, Tel Aviv. And saying, oh, I'm surprised because he went to Tel Aviv that there is a mosque in Tel Aviv. And then, of course, everyone uh, just went berserk over uh, this statement to show that his ignorance uh, all over, uh, you know, the uh, social media. And just a couple of things about uh, this mosque um, in uh, Hassan Beg Mosque. It was built in 1916. Hello. Okay, so it was existed in 1916. Uh, for those who are interested, go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com, uh, Jamal Dajani 2. You'll see pictures of the mosque uh, pre-1948. And the sad thing about it, it was in a 100% Palestinian neighborhood, uh, suburb or a neighborhood uh, of Jaffa called Al-Manshiyah. And then Israel destroyed Al-Manshiyah completely right. in 1948. And then annexed it to Tel Aviv, and then left the mosque uh, standing. So I don't know. We're gonna post this picture actually on the show to see the three pictures, and the, just the the embarrassment and the ignorance by the ambassador of the UAE is just uh, unforgivable. Yeah, Jamal. Not only is it unforgivable. What about the so-called Abraham Accords, where you had Gulf countries? remaining silent during the time of the murder of Palestinian children and civilians in Gaza, having this accord to kind of normalize relations with this regime that is murdering Palestinians every day. I guess this is the the beauty of the Kushner peace plan that he was able to find Arabs uh, in the Gulf who support the regime that are killing Palestinians. What's up I said with that? that? That's that's why that's why this incident was crazy. This is a time when people are across the globe have been mourning Palestinian children. Palestinian children, for the very first time, their their faces and stories were on the New York Times and other first publications. Time. First and then time. this guy goes there and 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 acts like so grateful that Israel kept a mosque standing. It's After they ethnically ludicrous. cleansed Palestinians. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we're going to be continuing with all these stories, Jamal. The next time we have Arab talk, Naftali Bennett could be the next prime minister of the apartheid regime. Or even uh, during the airing of this show. You've been listening to Arab talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to download the latest episodes. And we'll We'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.